take two middle-aged men who happen to be cousins and share a common codependency on movies, put them in a room, and tell them to talk about anything film-related. The result? An existential exposition of cinematic synergy we call The Finleys on Film. Yeah, so, uh, hey, Joseph, welcome. Yep, what's up? Oh, welcome to another uh, episode of Finley's on Film, and uh, talking about the Oscars. The Oscars uh, have uh, are happening uh, the, the tonight. Actually, this is going to be released. Yeah, yeah, tonight, the night, the ninety first Oscar award, the ninety first already. Yeah. It is. <laughs> it seems like only yesterday. <laughs> it's it was the tenth. What are you talking about? Yeah, I don't know what I'm talking <laughs> about. But I was just, uh, I was just pondering that, like the whole, uh, you know, my experience with the Oscars, and I've always had kind of a mix. Well. Here's where it is. I remember like the first Oscars that I saw. I remember. I think we we watched them before this, and I, I didn't really. Yeah, me and my mom and my brother. <laughs> and before this one, it could have been like any episode of The Love Boat. It was just something we did on a Sunday night once a year. And I didn't. Anyways, the first year was the one where they had Deer Hunter on. And I remember watching that and being like, that was the first one where I got like the pomp and the circumstances, you know, circumstances yeah. of what was going on and what it sort of meant. And. And it was kind of cool that year. And then we did that for a couple of more years. And then I don't know when it was exactly, but somewhere like, that's like four or five years down the road after that. So yeah. we're talking like early 80s. I was in junior high school or something at this point. Okay. And I just realized that the Oscars bored the living shit out of me. And I really, I've not been, I, I've been, a, I'm, I'm the guy who checks the internet the day after just to see who won the top five, you know, right. the top six spots. Right. Right. That's really all I really want to know. So. I haven't really followed the Oscars. The one exception I can think of is, is in San Francisco. There's a place called the Roxy Theater, and they put on a like um, they did a thing, every, which is every year they would show the Oscars, uh, do a simulcast of the Oscars yep. on the big screen there, and everybody would get together. And it was like this, you know, seems like an excuse to uh, party if it's in a theater. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you sneak in your alcohol, and you yep. people would throw shit at the screen nice. or, or cheer, however you know, however. That's good. You you would I can see the advantage of some collectivism because mm-hmm. people have strong opinions for for a show that it seems to irritate everyone in its execution. <laughs> people have very strong opinions about the the nominations and you know who's oh, got yeah. cheated and who, I mean you are, are no exception to that I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. Um, I was. Oh, and there is that too. I also get upset when I when. Yeah. <laughs> what I when I, when I, what I think is is obvious it gets insulted by know? not being nominated or not winning. It's, right. It's kind of. I feel the same way this that year. One fuck you. Yeah. What are you talking about? Well, I kind of. We were talking earlier today how insane it is that um, you and I get upset when people don't like the things we like. But I guess it's the reason we have a podcast to begin with. Right? <laughs> we be the point. You know, let's just get together and not really have an opinion on yeah in an audible format. Um. Well, uh, I, re- I remember this the year after for me. It's 1980, so it was looking at 79, f- mm-hmm. 1979 films. And because um, I specifically remember the movie was Kramer versus Kramer, which is a yeah. movie I was struggling with at eight years old because mm-hmm. I, I felt films were so important. At that point, I was I was getting like the quote-unquote importance of films oh, and, God, and old a- films. But it was like that and also the same year, one that wasn't nominated was Alan Alda's The Seduction of Joe Tynan. And I remember <laughs> desperately trying to understand why those were like important movies or what they were about. Right, right. Um, but I was really into the Oscars and I would make, I'd get those packets of construction paper, colored construction <laughs> paper, and I would make Oscars for the family. And you'd have to vote 
This is a very Joseph thing. Rather. You'd have to vote. make everyone vote. Mm-hmm. My poor father hated it. Um, on it, and then I would pre- go up and I would present at the commercial those who had guessed correctly. And uh, here is your paper, Oscar. Nice. And so I did that for a few years. Oh Jesus! And you're destined to become a, a professor at some point. I guess so. And I was, you know, it's sort of like that a little older than you should be. Yeah, I curmudgeonly at like ten years old, but I had that same oh, feeling that there were there were movies that were being cheated because they were real movies. And then a big one for me always. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's a big issue this year or for our episode, but oh, well, maybe in a way. But always has been how much I dislike musicals as a genre, mm-hmm. right? And that's I, I'm willing. I think we should do you an do, episode. You by the do way, dislike musicals. But I think that's we should a, do yeah. an episode where, like, let's take on South Pacific and Oklahoma, and like, because if anything, this podcast has taught me how much I can change. <laughs> my perceptions right. about things so t- totally open to that but given that and how much the king and i yeah and how much it seems like the academy um has a soft spot for for musicals of a certain stature and i never really understood like how i mean later on like a movie like chicago which is just a nightmare to me <laughs> to me to sit through right, yeah, yeah yeah um but even like like Gigi. Like that's a best picture. Like, like yeah. next fifty-eight or something. That seems incredible to me. Well, that's the thing too about like just the Oscars is at some point you just hit, you hit the wall mm-hmm. on like any kind of a contest at all. Certainly in an art form, and when you start talking about art form, it yeah. gets fucking weird. It's weird that that you would you know pit this up against that. Like, what's what makes the best movie? Is yeah. it is it the important movie? Mm-hmm. You know, is it the one that makes sells the most tickets? It's what you know. What exactly is that even? Well, and every year, yeah. it, there's, there's no satisfactory answer. And no, even the categories, that. right? Like sometimes I was looking at some old Oscar setups. They used to have categories that were like um, cinematography in black and white versus cinematography in color. And it's like, I understand why they wouldn't have it. There's not as much need or call for it. But like those are two very distinct sort of crafts, right? right. Yeah. And, um, and anyway, so, so yeah, definitely all of that. Um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Go ahead. No, I just, you know, the other thing is, I, I was also sort of pondering back, like, over my, my personal history with the Oscars. Yep. The first movie I remember, and this, I think this was the one that made me think that movies were, like, an important tool for the chain, you know, for society or something yep, like that. Sure. Which I'm not sure I necessarily agree that's a requirement for a great movie. But at the time, it seemed like the thing to do. Do you remember uh, Children of a Lesser God? I do remember that movie. God. William Hurt and... Um, some woman who... Yeah, who yeah. was definitely... Uh, I just like can't remember, remember but yeah, name. Yeah, 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 but just that movie and how like oh wow that's Martin, making a Madly, Maddie Martlin Madly Jackie the Joke Man Martlin <laughs> <laughs> I don't know shit I don't remember anyway but, yeah, but yeah just how like sure. that that felt like an important watershed oh, yeah, certainly yeah, yeah. I thought I think it was much more a, a watershed in my perception than it was in any way like societally speaking although it probably helped I don't know you know well like what means what uh, what makes a movie quote unquote important is sort of different for you and I because uh, if, if both you and I versus a lot of people I should uh, say yeah, yeah, yeah. in the sense that like there's the importance of like a message or like social change or any of those things and so like that or the importance of history yeah. but then it's like well what about some like it hot and it's like well because to you and I that's an important sort of landmark in filmmaking like because we can pull apart how it was made so we're yeah. looking at both sides of the camera when we look at mm-hmm. um, uh, motion pictures well you know okay so here's another interesting thing and I think it's, I think it's definitely going to come up today yep. uh, when we hit the main topic but there's the, there's this element of like good classic cinema that isn't that embarrassing that is that, that, not that doesn't like isn't wearing its racism on its sleeve or something like that you oh know what I'm saying? Uh, like, there's stuff that, that that now that like you know i try to keep social activism out of my 
sort of artistic appreciation, but sometimes a movie makes it really fucking hard to do that. Right, can you think without running anything today? Can you think of modern examples? I'm not quite following not modern you. examples. I'm talking about like stuff that came out back then that 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 was just like kind of like oh god that was a little bit awkward. Fuck. I can't. Oh, oh, I see. So you're saying okay, for, like that's just socially awkward just now. Revisiting that, you know, it. Me as a me as a person of this time and place watching yeah. that kind of go like oh that's a little you know that's a fucking that's kind of hard to watch. You well, know? I mean for God's sake, I think I don't think it won the award. Nation, I but, think needs to be an important movie but i but if you have if you if you cringe watching it i fucking get that yeah sure i mean but it, like what what is it about birth of a nation that makes it important and it's like to me i've used it in a class before like mm-hmm. a portion of it but only because i wanted to show the class um how very clearly um a story can be told visually like a chase there's a chase scene and the right. the, the, the content of the chase scene is a guy, a black guy, actually a guy in blackface, um, of course, <laughs> chasing a white woman because he's going to rape her, you know, because why wouldn't he now that he's been freed? Right. And it's like, and yeah, it's just in of his, course. It's in his GNA, according to the title. Of course. According to the narrative that's in that film. But the truth of the matter is, that is one <laughs> of the easiest scenes to teach um, how it is that you um, tell a story like through a chasing? How do I know that someone is being pursued? Like, right. what are the landmarks they use? Notice they use a fence here, and they, they change the angle on the fence, and then well, they you know, show a bigger picture. That also, was a movie that helped create the language of that kind of. Action, That's what right? I mean. And so it's like you know you have to start asking questions after a while. Like, are aren't there better examples that don't necessarily make you cringe? You know, am I doing a disservice to humanity by continually showing this sort of like? A movie with a shit point of view mm-hmm. in terms of humanity, uh, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but I, mean, I know this. That but there you are some and- movies that do not offend in that way that I think are interesting. Yeah. Okay, so just take some like, fuck me, some yeah. like an odd for an example. Yeah, right? yeah. Now, the, the, only, you know, the only thing that gets embarrassing in a racial sense in that movie is if you stop and think, well, there's really not a black person on the screen. Yeah. Like, you have, to, you have to stop and think, but there's nothing going on on the screen that necessarily... You know, makes you cringe or anything like that's, that. I think you're wrong about that, but I mean, that's uh, okay. how things change. Well, I mean, well, there's some, there's a certain sexism. Let's, let's go down that route. Well, there's also like, um, it's it's a question that I think a younger person might ask, and it's like, you know, we just don't ever think about it. But it's like, why why is it funny that two men are in, are in women's clothing? Oh yeah, and it's like, well, to me, it is. At the time, it was. Well, right? it is still to me. I mean, yeah. it is funny in the in the context of them like hiding and all that sort of stuff, yeah, and having Flip to... Wilson is your personal. Yeah, guy. yeah, Geraldine. But but the point is, like, um, I don't think that ever stops. Mm-hmm. But I, but so my question is, but what what what, what um, occasioned all of this for you? Just uh, the idea that like we would be more careful today in terms of what we nominate based on. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, yep. I'm not saying. No, by the way, let's just back. Let me back. Let me let me back that up by saying. Yep. I don't necessarily think we ne- we necessarily nominate the best better movies today than they did back then. And by better though, I'm only asking because you brought I it up. Know what, what that means? Because you brought it better in like some sort of social context. Yeah. And that, so that's fine. Well, I think we have a tendency these days to equate better with something of a social context, which is, was really not on the table as far as they were concerned. Yeah, well, and there's two levels, right? There's a social context of, is this a movie trying to sort of do something with social justice itself? Mm-hmm. But also, like, the minutiae. Is it careful enough? Right. That's always, always interesting, too. You know, there's that movie, last year, um, a, a version of Peter Rabbit came out. Hmm. And um, Peter Rabbit... Um, the rabbits were warring with like a farmer or something. I mean, I didn't see it. I'm getting the second hand, but but they're uh, they have little catapults. Oh, come on, Joe, it's okay. And they're throwing um, fruit at the farmer. They're using uh-huh. it's this little battle scene between the 
rabbits. And and I guess um, Peter Rabbit like puts some strawberries on there and says, "I don't like strawberries," or, or they give they make me sick or something, and, and throws them. Anyway, Sony had to apologize a few months later because some parents who had children who were allergic to strawberries got together and said that they were <laughs> that Sony was being insensitive to their strawberry allergic children. And Sony, and by the way, if you're Sony, oh, what you hear about when you don't have the nuclear launch codes on if, you? If you're Sony, Jeez. you'll do it. You'll just go like, of "This course. is not worth any fucking hassle yeah. to me." Oh, we're so sorry. Anyway, I don't know. I, I actually was looking forward to doing a show where we we wouldn't have a chance to to insert too much social conversation about social, uh, you know, uh, justice stuff. Mm-hmm. But you know, you're you're right to bring it up. It's there. It's always on the yeah. on the cusp. And of course, the, the show. Well, we're, remind me next time. I'll, I'll no, no, I, no. Then I shot. No, 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 no. I'm not telling you that. I'm just sort of saying, like, um, it's it, you're you're right in a way. It's always there. It, it's, it, it's a visitor. It's, it's almost an, it, it's 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 it's. Mm, know, it's get it out, Tom. Weird that it is. Uh, it's become inescapable in our society, right? Yeah, now. I guess so. I guess so. Although I guess you're right. Also, I'm I'm, I'm imagining the the few things you're alluding to from today's show. There, are, when you go back, it's also sort of like, whoa, maybe it wouldn't be so bad now if people hadn't been such absolute dickheads back then. There is but, something along those lines as well. You but know. of course, our show today is the, is uh, we're, we're, we're um, about the Oscars, the 1953 Academy Awards. So we're, we're, we're zing. We're going to the wayback machine. What 45 years. That's solid, solid math, Tommy. Oh, we are in 1998. You're right. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> wow. 45 years, 55. What's the difference? Something what does a decade, what does a decade mean? Um, so we're going back to what 19... Does a decade mean? 1953. We're going to look at the... Uh, uh, of course, uh, those refer to the 1952 films Yes. in right. review. And so we're looking at basically the five 1952 Best Picture Best nominees, Picture nominees. Um, for the 1953 Academy Awards. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What are you wearing, Tommy? What am I wearing? Apparently, I'm wearing something that was cast off by Ernie of Sesame Street. It makes no sense to anyone else outside this room. You're you're not a good outside doing, reference uh, person. I'm doing a lot. I'm I'm wearing some uh, horizontal stripes. What I do you think. think it would be like, by the way? Um, to be Bert, I don't know. That whole You'd be hollow inside. Bill Maher thing, where where oh. he was talking about like uh, man children. Oh, yeah. remember that when Stan Lee died? Yeah, yeah. One of my yeah. favorite lines was was they said uh, Stan Lee, his comics taught us um, things about the world, including social justice and equality. And Bill Maher said, "Okay, but now you have pubic hair." <laughs> anyway, but it's sort of like I, I wonder what the world, you know, 1953, what it would be like for us because we're sort of beneficiaries of the man-child mentality. We have no sense of like. You know, back then you wore a sports coat and a tie to go downtown, and you had yeah. a cup. We were listening to something on the radio today where someone referred to having several tuxedos to try on. Yeah, and and see, you know, like what well, was the what, most official? What does tuxedo? that even mean? Yeah. We well, would, you know, the thing is, the thing that's interesting about, I guess, where we're coming from, and I, and I and correct me, maybe I am wrong about this, but I think we're kind of in this weird nether area, this weird between zone, mm-hmm. like we're like the first sort of. Man-child generation, but we still have a little bit of the inkling. Like we, we still have a sense that people you should wear a tie in certain circumstances. Whereas there's generations now who don't get that at all. Like mm-hmm. I do comedy shows, people are on a fucking date. I did a, a Valentine's Day show, two shows, and goddamn if pe- if there weren't grown men in the audience wearing baseball caps on their Valentine's date. Yeah. So I mean, you know, at, at, at some point you're like, who's to blame on that one? You know, but again, that's that man-child thing. It's yep. also the woman's job to a certain extent to slap that shit off his head and make him be a man, you know. Ah, I think. I yeah, maybe. Know. That's how it feels to me. But then again, I think that's because we're in that little 
the between zone. I don't disagree with the thing you're saying, but you know, it, it actually sort of um, justifies why you and I are doing a podcast about the 1953 Oscars because it's a time we're more interested in. And, you know, one of the reasons the we time I want to be in. One of the reasons we chose 1953 was um, when we looked at any of the other Oscar, or many of the other Oscar um, nights. We touched on one or two of the films already, right? yeah. so, or we yeah. wanted to save them specifically for a particular actor. So, so the movie, these five movies from 1952, seem like none of that going on. None of the, for the most part, going on. Yeah. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, you want to start talking about our movies? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so let's start with 1952s. We're going in alphabetical order here. Right. The greatest show on earth. The greatest show on earth. Okay, so okay. we're talking about. Uh, Mr. Heston. Charlton Heston. We're talking about Cecil B. DeMille. Cecil or Cecil B. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, we're talking Who about wants to lions start? and tigers and bears. <laughs> oh, oh, my. I don't remember. I, okay, I'll, I'll start. Um, Please. I can't remember the last movie I saw where I most actively wanted to go outside and hang myself from a low-hanging tree branch. Uh, I fucking hated this. I hated this wow. movie. I really did not like this okay. movie at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So many things about this movie I just didn't like. Okay. Um, <laughs> it was, yeah. Okay. So I mean, uh, uh, no, I, no, what, no, what's your what's your what's your initial? Uh, I didn't like it. That boom. Go. Yeah, I gave it. I, I, it was painful. To me, it was like a. Um, I gave it a C. See, you know, uh, like two or two and a half stars. I thought it was okay. There were things I liked about it. Things I didn't like about it. Um, it baffles me as to how this was a Best Picture nominee. I have no idea what they were thinking at the time. Right. Um, one of the things I, I thought was promising, and I wish I'd seen more of this, um, Cecil B. DeMille is a you know the big picture thinking director, right? Epic, yeah. you know. Well, epic, spectacle as like movie as spectacle, spectacle as movie. Yes. Neither you know neither the twain can be divided. That's that's his specialty. Yes, and, and I I kind of equate him a little bit to like he's kind of the Kevin you know like the Michael Bay of early filmmaking, and at the same time he was yep. he kind of helped create filmmaking, but at the same mm-hmm. but I, I have a very troubled. I have a very troubled. Uh, I don't know. I, I understand who Michael Bay is. I understand his movies. I didn't quite get the connection you were going for there because it sounded like a compliment until you ended the sentence. But yeah, but it's just like it's an over. It's like it's that spectacle is the point of the movie, in a sense. And really, the thing that you can say best about Cecil B. Cecil B. DeMille is he still has records for the for the for like how much money his movies have made. Yeah, you know, relative to like cost, you know, to inflation, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, you know, an inflation calculator, he's got movies that made more money quicker than any other movie in, even in existence right now. Right. So, so he's a successful director, but I don't know that he's a great director. Well, I think that he could have been a great director. I mean, and of course, you know, there's the technical aspect that, you know, <laughs> he took on, you know, like Majestic. This, by the way, 1952 is the last year before movies became widescreen. Mm-hmm. So it has a, the sort of square screen. So even up until 52, he's dealing with a square screen. Yep. And he's dealing with these subject matters that, that I think he thought suited him well. So biblical, of biblical proportions, you, lot, literally. A lot of, lot of reliance on biblical, but always the spectacle is the big thing for him. Well, they, well they're, they are sort of like naturally married yeah, those, those two, two right those two definitely go together so, so what I, so what i always thought with him was um i thought or actually i'd say more appropriately we think of those because of of those being matched together because of cecil b because of the no way i don't that. think so. i would disagree i yeah, think that last he, temptation of christ what well it's also a biblical story but it's done on a much smaller scale i'm saying you know his use of giant crowds and things like that 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 whole spectacle biblical story i think he kind of created that well, I, I mean, I think he, 
he created it in cinema, mm-hmm. but I think that those stories were, had spectacle. I mean, the Bible is uh, full of spectacle. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, 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 it is full of stories that are spectacle. And, and okay. you know, and the, the Roman Empire is full of spectacle. And so, like, I, what I'm saying is, I'm not denying a part of what you're saying, but I don't think it was whole cloth invented. But like, we don't think of it that way because of him. It was there, and then he was a great, he saw an opportunity to, to mix, like, his, his, his vision. vision of the world of, mm. of, of movie making and then what naturally would be the subject. And the subject would be these great sort of historical or religious historical texts, right, mm. liturgy. Now, what I was kind of on my way to thinking here was, I've always thought I'd love to see him do, have that vision and that that process of filmmaking with something else. So I'd love to see him make a, a film about the making of a skyscraper, okay, or a boat or a Titanic, yeah, or um, even there's a film I, I want to like a lot. I'm always in its corner, but I don't. It's called Executive Suite. With like Frederick Martin, it's about the furniture industry. Yeah, right, right. right. But if DeMille uh, uh, with Holden, right? William Holden, yeah. Shelley, it's got a great cast, Barbara Steiner. Mm-hmm. But it just doesn't. It kind of swings and a miss on it, even though it's an interesting idea, <laughs> like the the executives at a furniture you know company. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, what if what if Cecil, Cecil DeMille had turned that into like a two and a half hour thing? It might have been really really interesting. <laughs> you would have like an entire factory built for, as a set. And yeah, all of this course. is my way of saying. When I see Cecil B. DeMille and I see the circus, I'm like, yes, that's what I've always wanted, was for him to take on something that's like not this other stuff. Right. And so to some degree, if a filmmaker, if a director does at least these two things, he directs like the scene, like big picture, you know, the Mm -hmm. scene, and then he directs the intimacy of actors themselves. Right. Then I think that um, I like his job as a director in this movie, at least for the first part. What he does well with the Ten Commandments, mm. he did well here with with like the rigging of a circus and it's traveling and showing us like the yeah. battlefield. The, okay, the, okay. So granted, okay. So here's the thing. The, I, I guess one of the big problems. There are a couple. I have a couple of really big problems with this movie. One of the really big problems is I'm not that interested in circuses. If you find circuses fascinating, this is a movie for you for damn sure because because it's a it's a it's a loving it's a Valentine to. The act of putting it on a circus, but to me, circuses are—that's a form of entertainment from the 19th century that just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I don't, you know, like I don't want to. I mean, I guess I get like the acrobatic part of it, but I don't get—I never got the animal part of it. I don't get the the women on unicycles wearing awesome outfits and like having a parade of them in front of, and people are just like, you know, men of men who are 13 uh, Mm -hmm. inside like us, Uh, like losing their minds for this and for for again. a spectacle of spectacle is what is what he's really going for in this, and I just don't really have an appreciation for circuses. Well, that's you know you're 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 talking about a version, although less sort of socially constructed than, of what you were talking about before, because I find circuses to be sorry, uh, uh, kind of cruel. That elephant isn't dancing because it it, it was convinced by your argument. No, that, it was beaten <laughs> into dancing, and electrocuted into dancing. <laughs> yeah. So like I always thought like uh, the animal part of the circuses were like oh my god. Fuck you. Or at least I came to feel that way. Now, the thing is, I I was able to divorce myself from that and say, look, in 1952, the circus was like baseball. You know, it came to town and the family got together and guys wore ties to it for some reason. It made sense to them. It was was a form of entertainment well before the internet, you know, and... 
Um, it's, but uh, there's also this part where like all the weird dark shit of circuses like this like are, are left completely off screen because Cecil B. DeMille was not interested in showing any what, 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 it, some like, of the freaks, like the freak tent and the carny people and that kind of stuff oh well, yeah you I mean you know that was there Oh uh, well, it was there, but I mean, for a long time, and this is like an Alfred Hitchcock. Would be able to chuck an ice cube at like a like somebody's head for a nickel. You know? uh, Alfred Hitchcock's um, Saboteur, I think it was Sabotage or Saboteur, and and there are films where it's like where, when whenever the freaks show up, mm-hmm. they're really happy to have found a place together. Mm. And so I, I, there's a when they do show up on the side here, it's you know the midgets who are just sort of happy to be part of the gang and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, I I grant you all that. I mean, that's there, it's but I think a, it's it's right. fair to look at it and sort of put that to the side. Well, okay, all right. Now, now, okay, so let's look at it as movie, just straight movie or a story. Yeah, story. I think it's kind of a soap opera. It's, yeah, it is a soap opera. It's a little bit. The Charlton Heston is over Char- is Charlton Hestoning the fuck out of the screen. I'm running a circus yes. all the time, and we, you know, it's just I've taken a bullet. Now make the circus go on. Yeah, fuck. It's a little hard. He's a little bit hard to watch. His girl sidekick is a little bit hard to watch. Jimmy Stewart's the most interesting. I, I think is the best character in the movie. Movie. John he, Wayne Gacy Jr. You yeah, mean? Yeah, he, he was plays, really odd. He plays, a, he plays a clown who, for some reason, never takes his makeup on, uh, makeup off. Which is, by the way, code for "I kill children." Right, is what that is. Yeah. We know that now. They weren't as sophisticated about murder. The uh, movie makes the it a little clearer, though. I mean, he's wanted for something. Yeah, and that's so why he never takes his makeup off. Right. Well, yeah, yeah. That's all dropped as though we're as though like nobody in that movie got it, and we're supposed to be like put it together. So, um, so that's so there's a kind of a mystery element there, which is kind of interesting. I think it's the most interesting. Part yeah, of the I movie. kind of agree. Yeah, right. James Stewart is actually somewhat interesting or engaging as a clown, yeah. a troubled clown. <laughs> yeah, a troubled clown. Like. Which is now a stereotype. But it's also like, you know, you have Cornell Wilde, you know, the, the wild sort of acrobatic Frenchman who comes in uh, sort of like a, on contract with him to save the circus. He's magnetic. He's really well. He, he does a really good job in this movie, I thought. Uh, can I tell you who he reminds me of? Mm, me, uh, Mr. Victor me, Mature. Oh, no. No. Oh, okay, go on. How so? Uh, anyway, well, it just is that, that sort of, to me, that Chisley, easy go, like dark hair. Dean Martin y kind of easy breezy. Yeah, but you can see where like his mouth is normal and his face. Yeah. And, like, anyways, you do hate Victor. We Mitchell. have talked about Victor. Mitchell. Yeah. So enough. So 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 yeah. I mean, he comes <sighs> in to save the circus, but he's he's kind of a prima donna, mm-hmm. which means that he'll be pitted up against Charlton Heston. Yeah, and to their credit, love of his love of the uh, of the ladies' vagina parts, yep. uh, will lead him to uh, kind of work with uh, with with his um, kind of Betty Hutton. Yeah, Betty Hutton. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, she's not a nemesis. I mean, it's sort of interesting because, you know, yeah, she is a nemesis in terms of she wants to be the, the trapeze artist in the, in the center circle. And he's he's a bigger name, so he's going to come in and take that over. But, mm-hmm. of course, there's sort of like, there's a love triangle, right? Like, there's sexual tension between he and she, right. uh, Oscar Wilde. And then also, you know, old Chuck Heston wants a piece of her, too. And they have some sort of history. And then, of course, Os- Oscar, um, I was going to say Oscar Wilde. <laughs> Cornell Wilde. <laughs> oh, not Oscar Wilde, that's for sure. <laughs> wow. Also has um, a history. A picture of Dorian Gay. A, a, <laughs> nicely put. Um, a sexual history with um, a number of the other circus lady Oh, yeah, he'd been tapping that ass all over yeah i guess so and yet i have to say not that interesting and in fact you know there's a tragedy that happens regarding he himself cornell yeah. wilde again still fruitful but not that interesting what do you think about him too because okay so that's another that's an element that there's no um there's there's no uh 
payoff. Like they, 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 he injures himself, but he still sticks around and basically does the same thing he did before. There's no consequence to him. Whoa, that's kind of a problem. His character is magnetic. The only real consequence of the movie ha- it happens with Charlton Heston, and uh, at the end, at the very end of the movie, that's that's when the consequence I think what happens in. to Cornell Wilde is actually just a missed opportunity because <laughs> him sticking around and being humiliated would, would be great. Could be fucking interesting, but it doesn't yeah. really happen either. He just no. sort of accepts it and. Yeah, I don't know. There's I, I, many routes this, this, this film could have taken. It could have been a, mo- a movie about the business end, yeah. and I would have found it more interesting. Right. It could have just been a documentary where they show you the fucking circus instead of you putting in like huge amounts of yeah. like, just just you watching a circus happen. But, but I think that, yeah. I, I think, know that was not an accident, but it yeah. was weird. And, and also, this movie gets so much credit, because Cecil B. DeMille, again, I, as much as I have problems with him, he's a mm-hmm. fucking innovator. Like yeah. He created the Dolly... The Dolly camera, not the Dolly camera, but the crane camera. Mm-hmm. Like he, he yep. did things, and this movie is like one of the first um, spectacle movies by way of documentary, which really is. There's a yeah. quality of documentary in this. There's about 15 minutes that could of could be straight documentary about about the the movement of circuses, yeah. which I found also very interesting. You did okay. I, I did, did, did. I mean, just those aspects. I was like, wow, mm-hmm. to actually film. How I suspect that's always, you know, of course it's got to be a lot of work, and this is before arenas where right. you had to put the tents up, and it's like, wow, how do they do that? Well, it's also a little bit, it's also a bit, a bit of the documentary of its time, which is a little bit turgid. They moved in like an army in the night. You know, it's all right, dude. It's, ah, it's a circus. You got to give them that license. Come ah, on, my like the, friend. Like Patton's Fifth Army, they rammed their armored cock into the... Nah, it's, just, it's got a little bit turgid to me, but... Yeah, yeah. Turgid cock? No problem, Tommy. Did I tell you, in 1975, like my history of the circus is um, <coughs> that in 1975, and this is something you can look up, here at Selland Arena in Fresno, it was my first circus, mm-hmm. two things happened. They let you out. The um, One of the tigers got burned going through the hoop. <laughs> it caught on fire. Right. And then the lady uh, fell from the high wire without a net and died. Really? Yeah. And oh, wow. I remember only like... I looked over and the, the Damien child Joseph was there. Well, all the clowns came out. I, I, I learned quickly what the function of those clowns really was, was right. to distract children from tragedy. Mm. Anyway. Yeah. Now, um, now, not so much. Now they are tragedy for children. Yeah. Well, you know that Barnum, uh, Ringling Brothers of Barnum Bay Circus is, um, I think it's last year was 2017. It is no more. Is it? There are circuses in existence. I'm shocked but, it lasted that long. Like I said, it seemed like such a, you know, like a, an art of the past, really. I think it's one of those things when you have kids or grandkids, it, mm-hmm. it's revived again. I, the parts of the circus, like I took my son Zach when he was a kid to the circus. Um, and the animals were st- the animal aspect was starting to bother me. This yeah. is when we lived in San Francisco, yeah. but it still took them. And it's like, eh. Um, but they still had really cool things like motorcyclists jumping, you know, cannons. Yeah. And See, that's the part stuff. of it that's still around, like trapeze yeah. artists and things like that, yeah, which, yeah. which has now moved on to like Cirque du Soleil and other I things. So, right? Those yeah. artists are still there. Yep. They're just not. They're just not running running around with carny folk yeah. from city to city. You know. Yeah, I mean, I, so uh, I didn't hate it. I I just sort. I found it. Um, Watchable, and there were aspects I admired about it, but I, it it just baffles me how this is a, a best picture nominee. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, uh, at, at the very least, I will go with you on that. I have no idea. There's so many. We'll talk about this later on about the the movies that did not get nominated for yeah. for best picture. Yeah, that well, are kind of shocking. Would well, you want to wait? We can we can look, we can pepper a couple in if you want. Oh yeah, sure. Oh, how about like singing in the rain? Singing in the motherfucking rain, maybe the greatest musical. Even the musical you can't argue. With. I love singing in the rain. Yeah, and you hate musicals. It's like it. That here's it, what I suspect: the year before, an American in Paris got Best Picture. I think it was purely a matter of not wanting to sort of pack the court, as it were. 
Nah, maybe. I That's what know. I suspect. I can't also, think of anything else. Also, I gather Singing in the Rain, I guess, didn't do very well in the box office. It's Crazy. Like initially, yeah, just, I, I don't know. I can't stand it. It doesn't seem like it makes any sense. Okay. Me, but there's some really interesting things that, that, that these are, I have a list here of movies, and we'll, we'll pepper them throughout. Sure, sure. Oh, do them all if you want. I don't yeah. care. Don't. These are a list of movies that were on the possibility list for best picture yep. and for the night for for the 20 it was the 25th right 25th yeah for the 25th uh, academy awards, academy awards. Yeah. these are movies that were up for other oscars that could have been up for best picture as a result but they never did okay um can you read your own writing Let's... oh yeah hold on a second no just having a okay well some... singing in the rain Singing in the rain, right? Come back, there. little Sheba. Come back, little fucking Sheba. I mean, and we've I talked about that. I don't know if Come Back, Little Sheba would have deserved ultimately the uh, uh, best picture, but I, I will uh, maybe. But I, I will see say it this: being on here better than the greatest, the show, greatest on earth. show on earth. That's, what, that's really what this list is, is: is a list of movies. I'm shocked. Got left off because the bad of the greatest the, showing on the there. bad and the beautiful. The bad and the beautiful. Um, okay, Viva Zapata. Zap Viva Zapata. Rashomon. I know you don't care for that movie, but I'm yeah. saying it's a better movie. Even it, yeah. it's a better movie than that. I'm right? not a fan, but I will say this: if I separate myself, I know that it's an important movie, <coughs> and it's an innovative movie. So, I mean, yeah. I'd struggle with that one, but I see your point. Okay, well, let's let's back up here. Viva Zapata. Now, I've never seen that movie. That's yeah. a movie I decided the I really want to watch yep. at some point. But just yeah, just like that. That, yeah. Well, that movie was um, also um, co- co-written by oh, yeah. Steinbeck. Steinbeck, right, yeah. right. I mean, oh, God. Anyways, yeah. uh, Sudden Fear, which is, uh, you know... Damn it! A great uh, <laughs> this is a you know a great noir movie of the time. Okay. Uh, noir movies, I think, have a hard time. Uh, in, there uh, have been categories yeah. of movies that the Academy doesn't like, and I think noir is one of them. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, Man in the White Suit, which we've talked about. Yeah, I mean, I like that movie a lot. I don't. Know, it's one of those movies you can like, but understand it's. Mm, should it really be nominated? Isn't it better no, than the Greatest no, Show on Earth? I don't know. See, this I is where I got a pale face on this list because I think it's a better. This movie. is where it becomes complicated <laughs> yeah, because because you know. Mm, okay, go ahead. No, Santa Paleface. <laughs> Santa Paleface is on. All right. It's, it's was, uh, I don't know. I have no. I don't remember what the hell it was. It had a nomination for, but it yeah. wasn't for Best Picture. I think it was Best Song or something. Ugh. All right. So let's talk about. Best Bob. Oh, that's another fucking great best. moment of Greatest Show on Earth. Did you catch the Bob Hope, uh, Bing Crosby uh, cameo? Uh, yeah, there were a couple of cameos in there. In, <laughs> yeah. And, and Edmund O'Brien at the end? And Edward O'Brien as, as the Barker. Yep, yep. Yeah, I mean, I'm, and I understand Cecil B. DeMille, why people wanted in on it, but it's one of those things. It's like the movie hey. North. Do you remember the movie North in the 90s? It was a yeah, Carl Reiner movie, yeah, and apparently yeah. it was so bad that they did a premiere, and when the lights went on, Carl Reiner had snuck out of the theater. <laughs> well, there are some there are some movies like where there are some Oscars we all acknowledge are given as essentially lifetime achievement awards. And oh, DeMille, yeah. DeMille, had this, DeMille won, won only one. One best mm-hmm. picture, and mm-hmm. that was for this movie right yeah. here. And this is also a year where he got a lifetime achievement award at the same time. So yeah. I got, I gotta think that's that's a huge part of it. It doesn't They're make demilling them up any sense, but yeah. Okay, all right. So there we go. Oh, by the way, worth noting that this um, original broadcast of the 25th Academy Awards was, was by Coastal. So it was Los Angeles. It was the first time it was ever televised. First time televised and first by Coastal at the same time. Yeah, New York and L.A. Yeah, and I, I, I presume the reason was because a sufficient number of actors and actresses who worked in Hollywood. There was a time when they were more likely to also be working on the stage. 
Right, right. I, I don't know. And also, and also, because travel between New York was just, it was sufficiently awful that, that, that it seemed like a good idea. To yeah, ride. it makes sense. Yeah. So, so you had, I think it was Bob Hope, I, um, Ronald Reagan was the sort of like the announcer between the two. And now we go to, you know, Los Angeles or whatever. But mm-hmm. was Bob Hope in Los Angeles and there was another MC? Yeah, there was another MC in New York. Okay. Know, yeah. Anyway, so, yeah. anyway. So let's Adolfo go to, Jew or something. Who knows? Oh, let's go to our second <laughs> uh, nominee for. Yes. For, in 1953 for 1952 Best Picture, and that is Ivan Buch. Ivan Ho. Ivan suck a dick. Ivan Ho. God Good damn it. Lord, this movie is bad. <laughs> blew it it is horrendous. <laughs> All right, we're on, we're on board on this one. Yeah, I mean, I, I like greatest the, show on I, earth. It was like, mm, yeah, but this was, I was act, I was angry after a while yes. how awful this movie was. Yeah, it was bad. It was hard to, it was hard to watch. It was, it was that weird thing where like, they were trying to like play the noble savage off, but it was Jews mm. instead. So it was really hard. Played by <laughs> Play, oh. the Jewiest of all, Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah, of course. Yeah, the queen of the Jews, Elizabeth Taylor. Joan Fontaine is in it. It's hard for me not to like a movie a little bit of Joan Fontaine is and in Joel, it. And Joan Taylor, too. And Elizabeth Taylor, a young Elizabeth Taylor. Very young, yeah. Who had just, like the year before, done a uh, place in the sun. Yep, yep. Um, One at, of my favorite cads. Oh, fuck, what the hell is his name? Is in this, too. He's, yeah, Siegel. George Sand- George Sanders Sanders yeah yeah, yeah. you well, love just, him I, fucking, I adore him he's put one of a my... little wig and a mustache on him <laughs> still George Sanders oh god damn he, yeah that was not his best makeup they're all wearing sure. Beatles wigs and uh, <laughs> Robert Taylor who I've liked before in a couple of things I yeah. hated him in this nah. I mean of course it's the classic story of Ivanhoe right it's it's <sighs> we we have the the, it's, the it's Normans 19th, and the it's, it was, it's 19th century revisionism yeah. about uh, about a knight from Robin Hood's time. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. And he's going out to find the good good king, uh, John. Historically, it's dog shit for first Well, off. of it course. It just is. But, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but, but Ivanhoe's oh, a little bit historically dog shit, too. Oh, it's no? totally dog yeah. shit. Like, the whole I mean, the story original, is yeah. not good. It's, no, there's, there's zero historicity to it. And then it's just not done well. It's really not. <laughs> it's and it's like, you know, I don't know how you fuck up, you know, like the cinematography. You have nothing but opportunities for great cinematography here. Yeah. It's it's not. It's rushed. Um, Taylor the is editing is dog, is dog shit. There's n- Taylor no doesn't even look that doesn't even look that attractive. That's okay. how bad I think the cinematography <laughs> is in this movie. Like they don't like she doesn't shine. It's really how do you do that? Oh, I thought you meant Robert Taylor. <laughs> no, Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah, no, Sorry. Robert Taylor shines. Oh, he's uh, see how I was religious. Well, in a way, you could say the same thing though, though too, because he's supposed to be the sort of you know. <laughs> Lothario, right? Like yeah. he's, but he's not, and he's not. He's not. There's no empathy to be had for him. Although he's in the the most sympathetic situation, pretty much you could be. The story writes itself there. You know, he's, he's caught between his his uh, patriotism for his people and and his what he's done to to um, distance himself from his father. Yes. Um, I think his father was the most interesting actor. Frankly, <laughs> he had that sort of like you know. I kind of like I kind of like uh, Grandpa Moses, the the, the, the uh, Elizabeth Taylor's uh, dad. Yeah, yeah, he was good. He was the, the, the noble savage as Jesus. Honestly, I felt like a, really I felt weird. like a child because the the only thing that kept my interest was the jousting. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was wondering how people do that. How do you? It seems so arbitrary. I'm sure there's a skill to it, but it just there, seems there is arbitrary. There's totally a skill to it, and there's an application in warfare. Yeah, but the act of jousting itself is just—it looks it's knocking just, each other it off looks silly, man. But I like it. Just it. looks silly as fuck. Yeah. So I mean, it's got and it's got you know classic tales of. Um, I mean, look, think about Game of Thrones 
and then think about Ivan this this mm-hmm. version of Ivanhoe, and it's like, man, you could, there's so many sort of areas of intrigue and mystery and villainy, and have a lot. You could have such fun with this. Oh, I hated just, this movie. I it, really it, disliked this movie. It I was, was distracted. Not, a, not enjoyable. At all. I yeah. Okay, so we're on the same page on that one with right? Ivanhoe. Yeah, no, yeah, just a terrible flow. Terrible flow. Yeah, and and I can't think of anyone who did a, a really good job with it or in it either. It's not no. like like with, with I made the case for Cecil to be DeMille on the last one, right? But I can't make a case for anyone on this one. No. It's just a bad film. And I'm I mean, there's a, there are a couple. Like, I think the main the two main actresses come away blameless. Yeah. Like they seem to be doing their best with a bad situation. Now, is there any sort of world politique it. involved? Like a lot of people, um, like in '83 when they were doing the '82 awards, and Gandhi was the big deal that year. Mm-hmm. I think Gandhi is a tremendous film by David Attenborough. I really like it, but some people find it to be a very, very flawed film. And mm-hmm. I've heard theories that it's the, that it's too. the beginning of um, l- later 20th century anti-colonialism. The, the the awards that that film got. No, I don't buy it at so all. Ivanhoe as reaction to the state well, of Israel. I, I'm just trying to throw something out there for why they would have not only made I, I get making it, but why they would have given it this kind of recognition. I, you know, I can't. But their I aesthetics can't. couldn't have been that different from ours. I, no, I mean, but the, you know what's really interesting is Ivanhoe is. I think the only thing I, th- I thought was kind of interesting about it was the fact that it. Really representative of what had been a huge blockbusters back in the '30s, like in the '40s, you know, like the like like Robin Hood, like itself? Robin Hood, uh-huh. and, and uh, was it the uh, this this you know the um, oh, fuck it all those Errol Flynn movies, like like those kind of movies, like it had that swashbuckling thing. Huh. I I don't. You mean like every once in a while now you'll you'll be like the studios decide let's try another like fill in the blank movie. Right. Well, even Robin Hood will come up once in a while, like sure, every twenty sure. years or something. So it's like maybe just like hey let's let's throw something at the wall. Mm-hmm. But there was that Douglas Fairbanks Errol Flynn sort of movie where like the guy was dashing and I think they might be trying yep. to. But they were cap- they were capitalizing on that and I would, I would have thought that day had sort of passed for that kind of movie really. I- Yes, I mean we're also talking about like the the consequent free fucking just dudes whacking swords at each other. But these weren't even done well. God dang it! Okay, here's what I'm here's what I'm thinking, Hmm. and not in terms of the accolades, just in terms of the making of the movie. And it's this, so it's it's baby boom. So so we're talking about children are like seven seven year old boys. Maybe it's just a sort of marketing scheme like Robin Hood, just like Davy Crockett. You know, like let's capitalize on this age of boys. Well, then maybe. Would this have been a kid's movie that that uh, maybe for sure? And now that I think about it, I think I think that's what I was kind of sort of hinting at earlier, sort of talking about, which is I think this was a year where, like Hollywood, when it comes to the Academy Awards, the pendulum swings. Okay, it swings a lot. It swings towards more, you know, important movies this year. And next year it'll be artistic movies, which may not be mm-hmm. the same thing. Mm-hmm. And then it's, it, at some point it comes back and is movies that made us a shit ton of dough. Right. And I think this was one of the years where it's like movies that made us a shit ton of money. You know what it really is? Actually, had had a weight to them or something. Probably right after we um, record this um, and before tonight's Academy Awards, I would be interested in seeing Black Panther. Because I've seen a number of the films this year. Yeah. I think it's a pretty good year. Yeah. Um, some of them I'm, I'm less sure on. I could do the same sort of thing we're doing now with this year's. But the one <coughs> one of the ones I haven't seen yet is Black Panther. It's because I have such an aversion to you know superhero, superhero movies. Right. But 
what I'm really curious about is every once in a while there might be a superhero movie that's actually a very, very good movie. Uh-huh. And, maybe, and is that what's happened? Oh. Or is it the other thing? And that's that, hey, um, we've never had a superhero movie that's populated by African-American. And, and by the way, prior to the awards, I'm all down for why that's important. Yeah. But I would be suspicious then if I saw it and thought, oh, well, if that's it, then why are they... Really it's a is. social commentary, then. I don't even think... Yeah, it's a, it's a social justice situation. I honestly don't think it's even the best superhero movie I've ever... It's not even close to the best superhero movie I've ever seen. So, uh-huh. uh, I, you know, I, as, far as, I can t- as far as I can tell, it's just... I think it is the social justice warrior element. Yeah, well, and I wouldn't even it. see... I mean, because when I say social, social... Personally, when I say social justice warrior, I, I, it's a pejorative term. I'm like, yeah, someone who overdoes it. I even get, I like, why. That. I get the motivation here. Yeah. I just wonder if it's a... Because it, no. what will happen is... Sorry, Bintro, but I, it will happen is for those reasons, people nominate it, and then it doesn't get it. And I think that it actually does more harm even in that area. Because yeah. it's just sort of like, oh, you've been... You're another breadcrumb. And it's sort of like, how about instead we actually put money into movies by and about people of color that are really, really good. Like, for instance, a movie you haven't seen, I think, this year, Roma. No, I haven't. That it's is on a my fucking list. stunner of a movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is up for Best Picture, right? And this is the sort of arbitrary nature. I think it will. But really? it's also simultaneously up for Best Foreign Film, which mm. always... Now, that's a, that's a category I think we could just do without entirely. How about just Best Film? Right. Oh, yeah, of course. Oh, yeah, what the hell? Right, exactly. You come to the World Series. There's nobody else in, in that fucking in that thing. Well, I think you're forgetting about the little a little team called the Toronto Blue Jays and the Montreal oh, yeah, Canada, Canada doesn't count. I'm Actually, sure. the Expos are no longer around. But That's America's hat. America's hat. Yeah. Sorry, Mr. They Trudeau. Don't, they don't count. All right, so Ivan Blow is no Ivan good. Ivan Blow, it needed the money. Mm. It needed the, the money. Hey, hey. hey. <laughs> Yo. Okay, so can we transition to our third of oh, five Academy Award nominees? Yeah. And uh, that's... I believe that would be... High Noon. Loon, do, loon. Oh, do not forsake me, oh my Joseph, on this our podcast day. So it's the first one we're talking about that's black and white. Yes. And... I think it's the first film we're, talk- we're talking about that I think actually belongs in this category. Yeah, I would agree. First off. Well, I, you know, I, we, we rewatched it today, and I have to admit, I had forgotten how good that movie actually is. It's a really good movie. Some really, there's some, yeah, it's a good movie. It also, I mean, just, just to begin with, think about um, how it takes all of the sort of habits of the Western and mm-hmm. just sort of tilts them a little bit one way or another and makes it new. It is kind of um, what's the movie I'm looking for? Uh, the word I'm looking for. I don't know. I never know. <laughs> Tell me what's your word. Such a toolbox. Uh-huh. Um, it's kind of like a. Shut up. Yeah. All right, go on. Okay. Keep talking. Um, well, blah, I mean, blah, blah, blah. I mean, um, there's the the uh, one aspect of, um, of of the western is is that it has an eventuality built mm-hmm. into it, right? right? So it's like, you know, three brothers arrive in town. Mm. I mean, even the three brothers arrive in town is, is a pretty well-worn... We talked about, like, the gunfighter from, from two years earlier with, right. with Gregory Pack, right? Mm-hmm. What's the difference between the gunfighter and High Noon? And I think there's a lot that, that Fred Zinneman does. And by the way, I like The Gunfighter, mm-hmm. but I think High Noon is a superior film. I think it is too. Now, um, I guess the word I'm looking for is like it's like it's rebellious. It's a it's a little bit um, it's a little dissonant with the regular cowboy movie. Mm, 
It's not like it's not like an avant-garde cowboy movie. No, it's not no, that. no, 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 not by any stretch. But it shows the consequences of cowardism in a way that's that's, for instance, just as it that makes it more universal than your average cowboy movie would make it. You well, know? yeah, because it has that Frank Capra thing of being. Actually, you know, you think it's one thing, but it, when you look at it closely, it's it's kind of going counter to what your thought was. I I, I agree with your explanation now that you've given it of that, that quote unquote. Still for the damn word. Frank Capra thing, but I'm going to say this. Actually, on the surface, it seems also to be very different from a Frank Capra approach in yeah, this yeah. way that most westerns, or best westerns, if you will, wow, will Which um, will are are. Propaganda films—they're—they're—they're they're, yes. they're trying to push a yeah. certain morality or remind you of a certain morality. Mm-hmm. Now, this one ultimately ends up doing that to, to most degrees, but it stops and actually has the conversation yeah. about what 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 is the moral conversation we're having here. Remind me, right. everyone, and so like it's—they're having it at all times. Right. What is the quality of actual law and order, and where does being a man come into just doing your job and being? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and also it's, it's some yep. very simple questions, but some very somewhat profound. And attached to the, the first time. one, I think would be the concept of loyalty is is examined in a different way because yeah. I think westerns were all just about like the villain lacked loyalty, the coward lacked loyalty, the, the guy in the white hat had lo- loyalty. Everybody around him was loyal to him, right? And yeah, the, that just does not follow through in this movie. Not necessarily, but but even that isn't because necessarily because the whole town has gone like lost its sense of loyalty or or has become sort of cowards, although that's somewhat true also mm-hmm. it's that they they have complicated reasons for why things have changed in their lives yeah of course and that's really interesting right and and so the, of course the premise of the film is that gary cooper has somehow blackmailed a young grace kelly into marrying because <laughs> he's never looked older in his life than in this movie like, he, the black well, and white I doesn't mean, do him favors no yeah for sure does. and he she does. is fresh as a day's ass. yeah she is before she's grace kelly before she's grown into being grace kelly if you read any of that hollywood babylon stuff what's great is that they're the two of them were incorrigible whores really cooper and i mean i mean maybe i'm sure they actually sat together too but but grace kelly could not get enough bone and uh gary cooper liked clam as well so much yeah anyways okay Mm -hmm. now i also uh, wait 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 wait. i was not setting the premise up so so the premise is that is that they're being married i love this is the only one we're really setting up the premise go on because the others don't even deserve it (laughs) because uh so so they've just been married at the beginning of the film and and we're given to understand that she's a quaker which means that Gary Cooper, I mean the whatever his name is, uh, Marshall Kane. Yeah, he's the marshal of the town. He's, he's retiring. Yeah, and so he's been sort of uh, persuaded to, to have a different lifestyle, oh. one that doesn't involve a tin oh. star and a gun. Oh, what trim will do to you? And so um, they're about to leave when the real conflict comes, which is that three brothers have come into town, mm-hmm. and they are the brothers of a man who Gary Cooper has helped send up the river, upstate. Right, presumably be to initially to be hung. Yep. Uh, that was commuted to life, and he's out instead of five years. Somehow. Fucking libtards. God, liberal snowflakes have let him out again. Thank God. You know, the, you know what's keeping him in check? A good man with a gun. We need Kamala Harris in here to bring back law and order. <laughs> so, so um, you know, really... The thing for him to do is to leave. Everything, oh, yeah. everything about the situation of, uh, demands it. His He'll his take new his wife, young, succulent wife, and get the hell out of Dodge. <laughs> He's got something brand new to live for. Yeah. in his old age, which is rapidly approaching. Right. So the, so he does, and the mm-hmm. town is sort of left for um, sheriffless. But it kind of doesn't matter because those four brothers are not going to do anything, pro- presumably, to a town. If right. Cooper's not there, right. the new sheriff will come in, and the problems will be solved. But 
Go ahead. No, well, there's also the element of him worried about the revenge element. So he's got his wife here, right? So uh, yeah. he's got his brand new wife. This, this guy, Frank, who's, who he sent away, is coming back to town to take him up on, uh, to take back his revenge. He's not going to, like, not, he's going to just come to the town and then not follow him up if he leaves. So he feels right. compelled. Well, that's the thing, to, right? To make a stand. He's going to make a stand under the under the uh, under the the serious belief that yeah. the town backs his backs his every play which they had done previously and for various as you pointed out lovely and complicated reasons they failed to do during this movie so it's just him it's just one man against four with his wit and and, and a little bit of luck and perseverance and his deadly killing accuracy well but i mean it also it's it's logical yes i mean it's it's emotional Mm-hmm. And it's yeah, it's kind of cornball on the surface, but I love that Zinneman and and, and the screenwriters um, infused logic here. Yes, we can't keep running; they'll just find us wherever we go, right, and exactly. and we we're not gonna you you won't want this life. So of course now there's this conflict here. Here's what I like about it: I I had to be reminded that that um, Grace Kelly's character was a uh, Quaker, a Quaker, like now. He doesn't like just now. Wow. I had to be well, reminded wait. that she was. Well, sorry, I was in a Quaker state. Mm. Um, I had to be reminded that she was a Quaker and oh, that that you. was part of the conflict. <laughs> Not just that he that he would be in danger, right. or that he might put her in danger, or that they're just married, but also she has some sort of philosophical conflict with the idea. Well, specifically, well, there's also, I mean, so she has that philosophical, but she gets that from a real place too which is her brother and her father had been shot. Mm-hmm. And that's when she became a Quaker subsequent to that. That was mm-hmm. her reaction to it. So her her not wanting her husband shot, like she makes sense. Yeah. In a sense. But at the same time, yeah, it, it's, a little, she, it's a little hard to watch what goes on there. But at the same time, yeah, she's, what do you mean she's following a logic se- logical sequence. I like it all. And it's then, a little hard for me not to be a little annoyed with her. Uh, her character. character. Yeah. Oh, no, you no, just no. got married, motherfucker. Back somebody a little bit, but I get it. But well, you know, also, so. you just got married, and you're going to come back to town and fight these guys off. What, what you should be, you know, bending me over a hotel rail in, in Salt Lake City or something on a, a honeymoon, a best western. So, um, what I like about the film is that it also has this lattice work of characters and conflicts, right? So you have a, a youngish Lloyd Bridges, yeah. who's taken up with this um, hot, hot, spicy senorita. Yeah, like she is, like yeah. Katie Gerardo is, is the <laughs> actress, and she's just something about her. Mm. She's like Lupe Valdez plus. Yeah, there's something going on. Yeah, she's, uh, she outshines. She really outshines the hell out of Grace Kelly in this movie. She does, and also the character is interesting because you come to find out that she's sort of. Um, <coughs> She's had the uh, her her time around the block, so oh. she's not only now currently with Lloyd Bridges, who was the deputy, who who is also, by the way, really pissed off because he, he should have gotten the, the job. He wanted to be the marshal, and he didn't. Yeah. That she had an, a, a thing with um, uh, Marshall King, Gary Cooper's Gary character, Cooper. a couple of years earlier, uh-huh. and, and then before, before that, that, the guy who's she, trying to kill Gary she's, Cooper. She's banging the Frank. She's banging it up at Frank's place. She's yeah. a goodwill ambassador, is what I'm I say. Telling you, man. So so that's kind of so there's a, all that sort of tension. There between characters on different levels, sexual like jealousy mm-hmm. and tension between yeah. Lloyd Bridges, um, Grace Kelly, and um, uh, Gary Cooper, and this woman. Like right. she's at the center of all. She's been juggling all of them right. in a weird way. Just another thing I want to point out. Like again, we're talking about the logicality of the characters and their motivations. Lloyd Bridges, he's mad for he's 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 actually the the townsperson. Who makes the most sense that he won't back Gary Cooper? Yeah, he wanted the job. He didn't get the job. Yeah, he is sick. He's he's visibly sick of being treated like a fucking kid. 
And by the way, that. so that's an aspect that we should now mention because the hu- the biggest tension of the film is that in at, at high noon, in an hour and 20 minutes from the beginning of the, of the scenario here, mm-hmm. the for- the brother who's been released from prison will arrive in town, right. presumably with his brothers to kick some Actually, Gary Cooper's ass. Originally, I thought the, the major tension here was how could Gary, could Gary Cooper possibly get it up? But go on, you're right. So um, that joke was a dysfunction, by the way. Mm-hmm. So uh, <laughs> so um, Gary Cooper thinks, well, I'll, I'll gather my pals, my loyal friends, and he hasn't a friend in the town. And as you say, Lloyd Bridges is, makes the most sense, and the rest are just cowards. Harry Morgan. Harry Morgan. Oh, is, oh I was ashamed of him personally. I just, yeah. I just, and and his wife, is he does it in front of his wife. He yeah. makes her like lie that he's not in the fucking house. Yeah. Like, he is never seeing pussy again the rest of his life in that house. <laughs> So, done. That shit is over, dude. You might as well fuck a wall. <laughs> Drill a hole and get a glory thing and get a calf on the other side. It's done. So he so so look, that's the premise, and you can guess kind of where it's going with the showdown and everything else. And but now let's talk about like talk about the cinematography. Talk about the direction. Cinnamon takes on like this really, really interesting. Like he treats it like a piece of art. Yeah. And and if and, and a western of this nature, even with the complications we've given you in the storyline. Mm-hmm. Which are above average, still doesn't usually merit in a director's eyes. They usually give it to like a B B director, and like mm-hmm. this guy elevated it. Well, okay, so I'm going to talk about this because I, uh, I have a I have a friend up in uh, San Francisco. I don't you, I don't know if you've ever met him. He is one of these people who um, like I am. Um, uh, what do you call that? Um, a blowhard. Yes. Right. I got nothing on this fucking guy. It's like when he really wants to let you know, when he knows something, you're going to hear every fucking thing about it. Okay. So um, he's also, he's a super film buff. He's really into the, into the movies and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, but he, he was telling me this story about specifically about the making of high noon that it was kind of, there was, it was, it was a lot of disaster going on in the movie. And the, really? really the saving of the movie is in the editing. And as I was watching it today, I kind of saw that a little bit. Like there's some, there were some, so many, there are things going on in the background. Like for instance, Gary Cooper, not only, being older was also violently sick in a lot of those shots and there are a lot of scenes of him sweating and just standing there yeah, and they just they, that was that was just them filming him unable to remember his goddamn lines. Why was and he the, like, just had like a, a flu or something? He had, he had like some yeah, he had like a really bad flu or malaria. I don't know. It was like some it was, mm. it was like a sweating disease. Yeah. and so so a lot so it was a lot of that movie was saved at sort of like the saved at the bell by the editing team coming in and really just knocking the shit out of it. And it and as I watched it today, I was like, yeah, it's actually really good editing. Like go back and watch the scene where you hear the the when you in the. Uh, uh, when the when you hear the whistle, you know of the train coming yeah. into town, and yeah. it does this sort of montage of people's faces throughout the town. I don't like those scenes, but but it was really well done. Wait, wait it, I was well done, but why didn't you like it? No, I liked it. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, normally, movies that have that, I'm like, that's a terrible cliche. Yeah. But this is that time when the cliche works. Well, I'll tell you why. Because the development of the characters ha- ha- was so well done that it's earned. Yeah. Usually, it isn't earned. It's it's a device to get you. Like to expose information. If you really want to see that in action, go see the the remake of the Magnificent Seven. It's just a dog shit movie. Right. Anyways, go on. Yeah. Well, you know, Enough I I always thought that that um that uh, side note that athletes shouldn't be penalized for using um, hormones. Not hormones. What do you call them? Uh, what the fuck do you call it? Yeah, the G- GBH. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, like. Uh, that's tough because we don't do it with they actors. Shoot into their, right, right, right. Because we talked about Montgomery Clift recently in, in Nuremberg, and he's going mm-hmm. through the DTs. Well, no wonder he's so great in that that role, <laughs> uh, you know. And it's sort of like, you know, 
we don't do it with actors. So, right, you know, right. anyway. All right, so we're agreed that High Noon is now we got a contender. Yeah. Now we got a contender. Legitimately a really good movie. Yeah. All right, so. Okay, let's move on to all, again, 1952, naturally, all 1952. Yeah, we'll leave that part off. Moulin Rouge. The Red Mill, yeah. my friend. Okay, so we're talking about, now this is directed by John Huston. Yes. Uh, it's uh, Jose Ferrer. Jose Ferrer. I always remember him, by the way, it's such one of the best voices in yeah. Hollywood. Next, I think he and Ward Bond just have these sort of unique, mm. interesting voices. Um, yeah, and, his voice is pretty magnificent. And I was, I always remember him from um, the Kane Mutiny. That's yep. where I most think of him. I, I, I mean, Siwan de Berja and um, Cyrano, uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, uh, this film are, you know, high, elevated pieces of art next to the Kane Mutiny, and yet the Kane Mutiny is the one that you remember. Yeah. Yeah. I have a kind of a thing, like because when I was uh, for my eighth birthday, I got I got mm. taken to uh, mm. a, the San Jose uh, Civic Auditorium's. Uh, uh, take on the um, uh, uh, the uh, Christmas Carol. Yeah, that's the, the, oh. the gardener. <laughs> I was wondering what that was. <laughs> I saw him coming up. I was like, oh, Some guy's blowing leaves out there. He's like blowing them off the front porch right, right behind you. So. Yeah, it's okay. Go ahead. Anyway, so uh, I get to the mm-hmm. San Jose Civic Auditorium's uh, take on a Christmas Carol starring Jose Ferrar. Yeah. I had no idea who the fuck this was. So I I didn't have an appreciation at the time. I have since, like, I'm like, I got to see that guy in person. I yep. thought it was pretty awesome. But um, I've always, I've always been a huge fan of him as an actor. Yeah, there, have, I just, I, I don't know that I've seen too many movies, but I've seen this movie a lot okay. over the years. This yeah. was always kind of one of my favorite movies. I had seen it once I as a, a kid. And I had a relationship seen it with this film just because. Just because I've always loved it, even when I was yeah. a kid. So. Okay, so so we're talking about uh, Toulouse Trek, the, the painter. Yes. Oh, there's more gardening happening. Mm, can't get enough gardening. I'll tell you what, I'm going to put us on pause. Let's take a break, and we'll come back uh, and talk I about Moulin Rouge. Pee. Okay, we're back. We had to take a, back. a little bit of a break there, because a, a man break. was mowing a lawn right outside the window. Fre- would you say we were freshly pop-tarted? No one ever we knows a, what you're talking we about. Have a Pop-Tart you in make their break. little references no one in the outside world I knows like about. To be you point to your shirt and say something as if anyone could see it. Tommy, I do, I do, I do, I'm sorry, you don't understand how good com, good comedy radio works. I, I'm sorry. You almost got it out, Tommy. Shut up. <laughs> so uh, we were sort of at the beginning of talking about Moulin Rouge, 1952, John Houston. I say Jose Ferrer, but you're saying Ferrar. It's Ferrar. I thought it was Ferrar, but it's one of those names that who knows? Right? Who the fuck knows? You know who knows? He does, and he's not yeah. t- He's not here to tell us. That's true. So it's whatever the fuck we want, but it sure as fuck is not. Uh, no, no, so it's remember. Paris at the at the, the like turn of the 20th century. The fin du siècle, yes. And this is uh, Toulouse Lautrec, the painter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now I see. I didn't. My history on this is pretty poor because I, I'm familiar with the paintings. Mm-hmm, I'm familiar mm-hmm. with the, the cabaret right. itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen this film, I think, once before, but I had forgotten entirely that he had a, a sort of a regal history. Yeah, yeah, no, he was legitimately the Count of Toulouse. Mm-hmm. He was he was one of the richest people in France, right? Just just by by nature of his birth, and not even through yeah. his father. I mean, she, he was rich. I think it was mostly supported by his mother rather than his father. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, yeah, he he had that interesting thing of being like the, the the Bohemian, um, just you know, the the, the go ahead, get it out. Weed eater out there now. That's all right. Uh, of being uh, living a Bohemian lifestyle and being a millionaire while doing it. Like he yeah. was, he was in this very unique space. But but I, I would say like you know, 
I don't know much about art, but I do like the stuff that I've seen that's his. Yep. I'm very impressed with what he did. So, well, he did. I mean, he, he was really good. He took it to a new level I mean, in the sense of like he discovered that making prints. Right. Were, he invented the poster that we know as art. As art. Yeah. Um, and did it for sort of like had two purposes. One is that he wanted to forward his art, but the, uh, it was also connecting with this local group of people who mm. accepted him. And yeah. the, of course, the premise of, of his not being accepted or him becoming a bohemian artist to begin with is that he has this. Tra- tragic accident. Right. I see. I always thought that he was born a dwarf, essentially. No, no, no. no. And he had a tragic accident, and, and the, the bones did not knit or weave back right. correctly. Right. His his family had been inbred over the last several centuries. Yeah. Uh, to the point where, yeah, after this accident, his 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 legs didn't grow past mm-hmm. that point. In mm-hmm. fact, I think they shrunk or something like that. I know, and I know Jose Ferrar for the for the purposes of the role, uh, he actually tied his legs back. Ah. That's him on his fucking knees. His knees walking around. Yeah, yeah. It's actually Ooh, not a bad job really, for an really painful. I find it ironic that there's a movie with Jaja Gabor where she has her legs and he does not. Mm-hmm. Very well played, mm-hmm. sir. Yes. Um, so, and, uh, by the way, Jaja Gabor is in this movie. With legs still. Yeah, still. Okay. Yeah. We want to make sure that that wasn't like... So anyways, okay. Yeah, on. sorry. I, you're right. I should have made the reference. But anyway, so... so uh, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> Jose Ferrar... This is a great job. I mean, it's for 1952 mm-hmm. and no CGI. And basically, mm-hmm. like, I wondered, like, how is he doing that so well? Of course, you can cover it with shots of above the waist for the most part. Right. You could have him walking in a trench. I'm sure that they did a, a number of those things yeah. on the set. But fundamentally, it was him actually working with his legs strapped up. But what I want to say is this, that, that you could you could easily look at that as the triumph of <coughs> Jose Ferrer's acting, when mm-hmm. I think, in fact, it's his, um, um, his emotive qualities are amazing in this yes. film. I mean, this... This is a film about the painter. It's yeah. a biopic, but it's, it, about the, it's about a fundamentally crazily lonely man. It's about loneliness. It's about him. It's about. It's. It's also about like just. It's just what a bitter. It, like he just becomes his own bitterness. Starts just kills him. In the yeah, end. and his like cynicism. He's, yeah, his own cynicism. He's like, uh, like, like some kind of a super. You know, just like a super hipster. Yeah. In a sense, I mean, there's a lot of sort of that quality going on, uh, you know, behind the scenes. I mean, you can see him. He's a man who's emotionally tied, you know, emotionally tied to his physicality. And then who who gets sort of fucked over by fate just just subsequent to that. And a lot of it, it's his fault is the thing. Mm, Well, I don't know. He takes his dick into crazy. All right. And falls in love with, he falls in love with crazy. All right. That's that's not his his fault. Wait, 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 wait. Slow down. First yeah. of all, so okay, so so he takes up at one point with a prostitute, essentially. Right, a prostitute, but but more like like the kind of like the like the like the street crazy sort of prostitute. Yeah, not but the I prostitute mean, with a heart of gold at all, almost. Oh, I didn't necessarily get that from her yeah, or that character. Like a decent person, but she's but but she's got she's got anger issues for well, sure. The, the the thing is, like, that's the whole point. Really, is that like what what. What are his choices? Right. And there are almost none. Mm-hmm. He can have friends, mm-hmm. um, even though he does not. He's not sure that they are his friends. Mm-hmm. But he does have friends who are sort of like of They're the partying. Also artists, and he's got money. So he's, yeah, right. Yeah, but I don't think it is exactly that. I think he does legitimately have people who admire him at that level. But really, he has to go. It's about class. Yeah. He has to sort of go to the opposite end of his class mm-hmm. in order to find people who will hang out with him. And so that <coughs> includes like this prostitute. And right. so. I don't know that she's any worse than anyone else. I mean, she's she is she using him? Oh, yes, yeah, very obviously. But she's also being used by someone else, right? For that purpose, right? So it's like, yeah, you can be mad at her. He's sufficiently cynical to understand that dynamic and realize yeah. he's kind of using her too. 
to has, some degree yeah, because there's he, that element of his of him actually doing that. Well, because he's not. What is he going to get out of it? He's not going to get interesting <coughs> conversations about art or right. or any of that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So he's going to get like somebody who would just be willing to not be repulsed by him, essentially. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And and um, yeah. So I guess it's really it's it's to some degree it's also about all the other people. Mm-hmm. It's about like w- why. Why, in whatever circumstances people find themselves, are they willing to um, see themselves as better than other people? How how, how greatly we search for that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and also it's it's a movie about how your own self esteem, his self esteem, like yep. sort of wrecks his ship. Yeah, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. It, uh, it yeah. The, his, his life is based on his own self esteem. But he sees himself as fated, mm-hmm. right? And he sees himself even as as a, as, as a monster. But even as his, his art is starting to take off and he's getting some 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 money for the art mm-hmm. and he's getting notoriety, he sees himself as so faded that the art can't even take him out of it. Right. Which in a weird way, it, like it might have. Right. And in the end, you know, you have this sort of like the death that all of us want, which is somebody to come to us and say, I was wrong the whole time. <laughs> you were right. Which is his father, which is his father played by him. Yeah, uh, letting right. him know that on, on his deathbed that he finally gets the art. Yeah, so I mean, the story is a great story by itself, mm-hmm. and I think what Houston does is he he comes in and he doesn't wreck it. Is what he, that's the first thing he does right. is he doesn't wreck it. Well, I think because honestly, it's one of those movies where you could feel the director appreciating the art. Yeah, well, and the artist that, I, that it was to lose the track. I agree. And also that Houston took himself out of himself. Like, mm-hmm. I would say I can't point to a mm-hmm. film before this, although I love Houston films, mm-hmm. where Houston intentionally decided not to direct it the way he usually directs. It doesn't have the stamp of Houston on it. It has the stamp of a good director on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Granted, okay. Yeah, because absolutely. he he plays with these tight sort of... He, t- he plays with <coughs> Paris, but Houston in Paris would be like Hemingway in Paris, like these broad shots all over the place. And he, he plays everything sort of like in a claustrophobic... Even the Moulin Rouge itself is, is a bit claustrophobic at times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at times, and and it's sort of all these sort yeah. of this craziness happening in this small space, or yeah. this loneliness happening in the small space. And he slums it, and 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 Houston makes you see it, makes you smell the slumming. Yeah, which also comes through the paintings. It's really yeah. kind of remarkable how he how he works that. Yeah, the cinematography is amazing. Yeah. The color yeah. in this film is is some of the best color from that time. Yeah, definitely. Um, and and Ferrar is, um, I think, incredible. Jean Jacques Gabor is remarkably not bad. She's wonderful. <laughs> she, and you know, because I think Jean Jacques Gabor has never never in her life played more Jean Jacques Gabor than she did in that movie. Maybe that's it. She didn't She's have to act. Just up. She exactly. She was just like this. Vapid, vapid person. Yeah, and she was she knocked it right out of the park. Yeah. I got to say this: this is another thing because this is kind of my my history with this movie too. Is this was a movie I loved as a kid. Uh-huh. I watched it as many times as I could at my dad's place. My dad hated this movie. Why? Why? Well, here's why: because he fucking hated the father. Oh, uh, that, he, he felt personal. He personalized he, it. Personalized it. He's when, like at the end of the movie where his father's going, I'm sorry, I did not know that you were this you know, incredible artist. And my dad was like all but throwing his glass, like, fuck you. <sighs> well, I would say your dad liked the movie then, in a way. <laughs> yeah, well, in a way but it, <laughs> he enjoyed the pain oh, of the he movie. He did that. He's like, he, he, but my dad had nothing for unsupportive fathers. He really, that pissed yep. him off in anything where he Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, okay, so I'm interested. Like, How does this film stack to you against a film from about four years? years later called Lust for Life because there's a lot of similarities I love that movie too possibly even in the life of Van Gogh yeah. and, and Lautrec 
Well, I think one of the things they were suggesting is that all these fuckers <laughs> were trouble like 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 nobody's business. Like yeah. these great artists. Um, God, I don't. I hmm. How does it stack against that movie? Well, that's a bigger production movie. First off, but, Lost for Life. Yeah, okay, but I. And that's really hard for me because yeah. I because I like Moulin Rouge. Sorry. I think Moulin Rouge might be a better movie, but for me, it's also it's it, it goes a little bit closer to the heart on that one. Meaning, like personally, I love that movie. I have more connection with that movie than with Moulin Rouge. Yeah, than with Lust for Life. You mean just because of your watching experience? Yeah, basically. And having watched it earlier and watched it so many times, yeah. I've watched it at least 12 times more than I have watched Lust for Life. And I've watched Lust for Life a number of times. But Moulin Rouge also, I think one of the, <laughs> one of the things about Moulin Rouge is, is you feel um, more connected. Um, um, uh, uh, Farrar is more of a protagonist uh, overtly yeah. than I would say Douglas is. Douglas is... He's brilliant. You can sympathize with him, but you also get to go like he is fucking batshit crazy. Right. Whereas Ferrar, you're still you're still in it with him, going like, stop being so cynical. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. there's something that could be to be saved here. And also, the, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And also, I have to say, like, as much as I admire the work of Vincent Van Gogh and all like that, really, mm-hmm. and the both, I, I would put them on the same area. Um, I think also, I just like the setting. The way Moulin Rouge was yeah. was actually captured, like Paris at the turn of the century, yeah, really was captured in this movie. By the way, I do want to point out, <coughs> I've never seen the musical uh, Moulin no, Rouge I. from the nineties. Moulin and Rouge with no, an exclamation point. Yeah, I feel no uh, fuck up. I, I like you and McGregor too a lot, but I, it's I, like I don't know why. They, yeah. Well, the truth is, it's a musical. And so I think that it takes a whole different approach. Right, so right there, I, I don't even. Off. Yeah, maybe, but I also don't know that it's it's committing a crime. Like sometimes I feel, you know, it's oh, not yeah, a true. Yeah. It's this not a true not remake. remake. Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. a remake. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah except for the name, it, it, I don't. You know. Right. Yeah. Anyway, so okay, well, okay. let's get to our last film. Okay. Which is 1952's <laughs> The Quiet Man. The Quiet Man. Yes, another John Ford. Uh, John Ford. John Wayne get yep. together. Uh huh. Let's. I don't know. I th- those two are kind of like to me. They're like an Adam Sandler movie production situation where it's just like a couple of, couple of dudes who are going to go like have a party in an exotic location, and make a film while doing it. Me yeah, okay. This is just a, some, there's something like so familiar and comfortable. Like the difference between The Quiet Man and Donovan's Reef, uh, and North to Alaska is very small. Wow. Okay. Let's yeah. talk. Yeah. It's it, you know. That's quite a statement there. Uh, yes, it is, and a correct one, I might point out. No, I, at least that's that's kind of my take on it. I mean, I mean, because like Donovan's Reef and North to Alaska are like movies that are like. Eh. So, do you feel that way about The Quiet Man? Um, no, I think The Quiet Man is is a better is a better is a better quality version of that. But at yep. the same time, I mean, it really sort of follows a lot of the same uh, patterns. Pat- I won't say the word. I, I know. Me not too. Say that goddamn <laughs> me word. Too. Screw you, David. Yep. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but but um, yeah, those patterns are there, and they're in all of those movies. So sometimes it's, in this case, it's realized better than it was in the other two. And I think because Wayne and Ford had more more actual knowledge of Ireland than they well, did the of thing, the South not, Seas, they're also not inventing the scenario. The scenario exists yeah. as a part of the culture, right? Right, right, right. Yeah. Okay. And there's this quality too about this movie that I don't know. It's not my favorite John Wayne movie by any stretch of the imagination, or Ford for that matter. Mm-hmm. But it's I think it's 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 very workmanlike. It's 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 a very it's a it's a decent movie. I like the fact that that I think at the time it, it got sort of put up there as being a little bit daring. 
because John Wayne was oh, playing was. an American who didn't want to fight. <laughs> like, oh, I, yeah. Well, there's it, also it's like, it's like they talk about like Gwyneth Paltrow gained weight for that role. Like that's kind of what what happened yeah. there. I think it's also. Um, I mean, it's sexually suggestive a few times in a way that surprised me for 1952. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So uh, I'm going to say. Well, I mean, the premise is very simple. I think, which mm-hmm. is that uh, uh, American ex boxer from Pittsburgh. Well, we don't even reveal that he's a boxer for a while. Yeah, yeah, that's a slow reveal on that. And part. and he goes to uh, Innisfree, Innisfree, Innis, what is Innisfree. it? Innisfree, thank Innisfree. you. Um, Ireland, where he was born, <coughs> apparently, mm-hmm. to buy the old, the property of his family, the old right. property of his family. Go back, yeah, go back to the old sod. Yeah, a little bit of the old sod. So to sort of like become an <laughs> expat, a little bit. It has the fucking the, the most Irishy of Irish actors <laughs> ever from the Naked City. I forget his name. Uh huh. And then Maureen O'Hara, right? Maureen O'Hara. Now, <sighs> See, tell me that's not a, that. First off, the, is there a more Irish name in no, Hollywood I, history? I guess not. Maybe Patrick Wayne, John's son. Maybe a little bit oh, more. Okay. I, yeah, it'd, it'd be hard to find. All right. So so um, <coughs> Wayne comes to this town to live. Um, kind of sees Marina O'Hara and has a little thing for her, but mm-hmm. there's this sort of conflict between uh, Wayne and Marina O'Hara's older brother. Yes, who's just a, a complete piece of shit. Yes, and he's a monster. And uh, the conflict is between a piece of land, mm-hmm. but it also becomes about whether about he's going to allow his sister because he's his, the sister's keeper. Yes, I mean it's kind of it. I mean the rest of it is just sort of playing out. The rest of it is is that situation playing out towards very logical. And then, and then, actually, a very interesting thing about his boxing past that comes about in a way that I find I, I thought the movie made the movie really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, do we want to talk about that? I mean, because yeah, there's the other it. element too. Because one of the problems that the brother has with him is he refuses to fight. Yeah. And the, and the brother, like, because of that, he has zero respect for him, and he wants to wants to get into a bit of a Donnybrook with him because Irish people do that casually. I guess you know the thing world. is, I I, I don't. My my intuition initially was to think that you're making too big a deal out of it. It could be an important part of the film, but that's how not a big deal was made out of it, actually. Yeah. It was just sort of a film where a few things happened. Mm-hmm. But I want to praise the film because I had never seen the film before. Oh, yeah. After all these years, I'd never oh. seen it. And um, it was not at all what I thought it was. What I thought, it, what I think about it is that it's a really, really, really well done tone piece. I mean, I think I think Ford directs in a way I've never seen him direct before. He's not directing story. He's directing tone. And it's beautiful, the tone. Okay. And I've also never seen, even in the best of his movies, John Wayne act before. Even in Red River or Searchers, he doesn't really act a lot. There are lots of other things that make those movies great. He actually acts pretty well in this film. Here comes the um, blower. I I would disagree with you on Searchers. I think that's maybe his best acting job. No. I mean, it's just John Wayne in that. I mean, the, what, it's the lines that are amazing, right? The lines, the story. Like, There's almost no good-natured John Wayne in that movie, which is mostly what he does, and certainly in his later westerns. There's no good-natured John Wayne he's, in he's that movie. Hold on, let me think about that this. It's, it, it's everybody else well, he's in Red him. River, too. I mean, that's that, maybe that's not a coincidence that those are some of his right. better movies, but... But because um, really he was Arnold, you know he was and, Arnold yeah. Schwarzenegger. He, he was the guy with like the with the kind of like the good natured snappy comeback to things. No, but to my, every fucking thing. no, no. But that's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about good acting. I'm not talking about whether the the character is different but, than it. But but he's to be stretch. to be well <laughs> stretch yeah, to yeah. what being an asshole. I mean that's not a huge stretch. Well, for you, not well for not for you, my friend. It's the same neighborhood. 
Um, yeah, I just I thought it. Was, I thought he was acting in a whole different area than I've ever seen him before, and he was actually acting like he he inhabited that role mm-hmm. of of that man, um, and I really like that, and I like the directing a lot. And as far as the film goes, I don't know. It's kind of exoticism, I guess, right? For a lot of people, like mm-hmm. the more you pour on the Irish sort of oh, aspect God of like damn, do they do that priests and beer and Fighting. brawls yep. and. Donnybrooken. Yeah, I guess it's sort it's of really kind of racist. Yeah, maybe it's racist. I'm not sure what it is, but it's sort of like I don't really care. In the mm-hmm. end, what people I always heard about this movie, especially from my relatives, like, oh, it's depiction of Ireland, and it's like I could have been anywhere as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. The characters and the characterizations and the direction were just so well done. It could have been in Pittsburgh itself, and it would have been fine. Yeah. I don't care that it was in Ireland. Okay, I know that's a big sell of this film, but Jesus, I liked you, it though. You just fucking hate the Irish. I do hate the Irish, but I do because you're Irish. But but I do um, like this film a lot. I would give it like a high praise. I think it's I think it's a solid film, definitely. Um, now let me ask you this: Do you think it belongs on this list? Yes. Okay. I do. I do. Right. I do, lad. I do. Faith <laughs> and I do in the Dunny Okay. Good. I do. I mean, I think I think it's no accident. <coughs> I don't think it does. I, but but there we'll we'll have to agree to disagree on that one. I I think it's no accident that the, that the films that belong on this list, maybe just for this year. Are the films that actually take on sort of like smaller scopes and just try to be like personable and intimate yeah. and like really explore them. Right. And the two films that were gigantic in Ooh. nature and sprawling, yep. especially Ivan Yuck. <laughs> but both of them <laughs> were just Blow. were just not very good. Yeah. yeah. Ivan Blow. I think I got it on that one. Right. We already said that one, remember? No, he no. needed the money. No, shit. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah. Shut up. Ivan Blue. Anyways, okay. So all right, so let's now we've written down who we think should have gotten the best director, actress, actor, and film. Yeah. Um, and we didn't limit ourselves to these films, by the way. Anything that came out in 1952. Right. Okay, so should we start with director? Yes. Okay. Let's reveal our card, sir. Uh, okay. Oh. They're in there somewhere. Oh, well, I, have, I have mine listed here, but I'm actually. Uh, They're I not think... separate? No. Okay, not. just tell me who who should get best director. Oh, um, I think um, Houston. Really? Yeah, I can see it. I went for Fred Zinnemann in High Noon. I'll okay. tell you why because I, I think he accomplished some of the things that 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 the Ford and, and Houston did, but um, the technical aspect was better. Okay. But I can't uh, argue that one way. But Houston is a fucking not a bad choice either. No. We can agree that Cecil B. De Blach and whoever the Ivan Cecil Blow de Mill didn't need the money anyway no he did not need the money All right, so let's talk about the best actress of 1952 who do you have Tommy hmm honestly most of these I haven't seen Mm -hmm. the only thing okay because we got the the nominations were for Shirley Booth Joan Crawford Betty Davis okay okay, let me back it up Shirley Booth come back little Sheba Joan Crawford Sudden Fear Betty Davis the star um, Harris Julie Harris uh, for Member of the Wedding, which I, and Susan Hayward for a Song in My Heart. I haven't seen any of those fucking movies except I've Come Back, Little Sheba. All right, but you're not limited to that. You could say Debbie Reynolds from Singing in the Rain or whoever you want. You yeah, know? I couldn't do that. But I'm going to go uh, of these. I think Shirley Booth really did a tremendous job. Shirley Booth. Yeah, I thought she was great in Come, Come Back, Little, Little Sheba. Sheba. It was such a was such a movie that touched my heart, and then and then she was one of the really great reasons for it. So. It's it's not easy to make Burt Lancaster take a a, mm. a back seat, yeah. and she certainly did in that movie. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Okay, all right. Uh, how about best actor? Best actor. Okay, I have Mister 
Jose Farrar. For best actor? And not, and again, I want to emphasize, okay. not because of the technical aspect of, of being shorter, or I just learned from you walking on his knees, essentially. Mm-hmm. I thought his acting, his acting was, was tremendous. I was like, you know, what was really interesting is, is I was rewatching it again, mm-hmm. just for this podcast, and I was thinking for myself in the first part of the movie, I was like, he's not really pushing himself at, like emotionally. And then about at the end, by the end of the movie, it's like, oh no, he's really constraining himself. It's the constraint that's it's amazing his, in that movie. Yeah, it's appalling. It's really, his, his, it Acting with your eyes. It fucking hurts to watch. It does. It is yeah, incredible. So, so tremendous. I'm, yeah. I'm going to go with... Um, Who'd you go with, sir? I'm going to go with Jose Ferrar on that one too. Okay. I had to give it to him, yeah. Okay, Mr. Jose Ferrar. Shagalaka, yeah. All right. Now, he didn't win it that year. No, Gary Cooper did. Gary Cooper did, right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and Fred Zinneman oh, and John Huston both lost uh, director to John Ford in Quiet Man, which I think yeah. is mm, not quite right. And we were all together with Shirley Booth. That she won that year. Yeah, we were. Okay, so now, best picture. We're good. 1952. <laughs> all right. Okay. So to remind our listening audience, all mm-hmm. eight of you, that we had The Greatest Show on Earth. High Noon. Ivan Bluch. <laughs> Moulin Rouge. And The Quiet Man. <coughs> and, and the winner is the best picture. Is? Go ahead. What do you say? The Greatest Show on Earth. Who do you say? Oh, who do I think it was? Oh, fuck. No. Mm, yeah. Moulin Rouge. <laughs> Moulin Rouge for sure. Did you write any of this down? Are you just making them up right now? No, no. I got it. Moulin Rouge. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. All right, Tommy. It's been a pleasure. But that wasn't the movie that actually won. No, The Greatest Show on Earth. The Greatest Show on Earth. God damn it. No, and it's listed as... Um, it's it listed as, as one like one of the worst best pictures. It is, of all time. it is, I and I think it, yeah, I agree with it too. All right, it, it, it's just one of those things where it's like, God, you know, it's it's kind of upsetting that it did, and at the same, and fucking singing in the rain was the same year. Like, how does that happen? Yeah, but it also points out that man, they've made bad decisions for <laughs> for Oscars since the beginning of time. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, people on the test. All right, all righty, buddy. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, this is our little. Um, Oscars extravaganza, we want to call it. Okay. <laughs> All right, Tommy. I love Ox- you, man. Oscar Ox- extravaganza. Okay. One more time. 